Good morning. You may be seated. Tell me, how early do you start the Christmas music in your house? At ours, we sort of have a rule. Um, Please tell me you don't do it before Halloween, by the way. But in our house, it's right after Thanksgiving. We do Thanksgiving dinner together. Fran, if she has her way, likes me to help her get a tree the day before Thanksgiving. We don't always do that. Hopefully, we do it right after Thanksgiving. We get the tree. We put the tree up with the kids who are in town and we start the carols, and, and the singing starts. Um, I've always pastored in churches in Austin, Texas, Knoxville, Tennessee, in university settings, so much like you here. And so we, like you, would do our lessons and carols, our big musical festivals, earlier in December, not in the traditional Christmas Eve spot. So just like you, uh, last Sunday evening, it was awesome if you were here for the lessons and carols. It was fabulous. But you then sort of say as a preacher, what's left to say after that? You know, we've sung these amazing glories of the gospel of God coming to us in human flesh. God, come for us. What's there left to say in a sermon? Because music really is so powerful, isn't it? It's even powerful among the atheists. Madeline Murray O'Hare, the famous atheist, the populist atheist leader of the last century who lived in Austin, Texas, um, Madeline Murray O'Hare said in an article that was not published till after her death. She said, you can't print this till after I die, but you can then. Because I do want people to know that every Christmas, I snuck into the back of churches in Austin to listen to the music. Because there was something about that music I just had to catch and hear. Powerful. Luke believes the same thing. He's big on Christmas carols. He's got four big ones. He's got Mary's song, the Magnificat. He's got Zachariah's song, the Benedictus. He's got the song of Simeon at the end of the birth narratives, the Nuke Diminis, the Lord, now let your servant depart in peace because I've beheld this child. And he's got the most famous of the carols right here around the birth narrative, the Gloria and Excelsius, the angels song. Let's, let's look at that angel song together today, the text, the birth around it, and let's be captured by the wonder of Christmas. Let's let that singing grab our hearts and our minds to the wonder that God really does favor us at Christmas. We are God's favorites, so the angels tell us. Luke 2, let's begin back in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news 
of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, (laughs) they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Mm. Dear Father, Almighty God, would you come to us today? Father, by your word, by your spirit, Holy Spirit, would you come to us today, even Lord Jesus, as you came into the world so long ago, breaking in, becoming one of us to be our Savior, to make us your favored ones. Father, would you overwhelm us with that gospel? Today, we have a hard time knowing that we're your favorites. We scrabble and scratch and grab to try to gain favor from others and from you. Lord, may we know we're your favorites. And may that free us to have great joy, peace, and hope, even in the middle of much suffering, as we wait, Jesus, for you to come again to make it all new, to bring us into the fullness of joy in life everlasting. We pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, i am uh, got a confession to make this Christmas. I'm a huge fan of The Office, the comedy show. Uh, Steve Carell is Michael Scott. And my favorite episode of The Office is called Fun Run. It's, it's the one, it's a double episode in season four to open up that season. And it's the one where it starts off with Michael uh, running into Meredith, one of the workers in the office, in the parking lot with his car. And he smashes into her. She crushes her pelvis. They have to take her to the hospital. And so Michael gets all the staff to come see Meredith in her hospital room. And, 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 and you know, Meredith wakes up. Michael's there. And everybody's around her. And she's just sort of overwhelmed. And Michael says, I think it'd be real good, Meredith, in front of everybody here from the office, you publicly forgave me and told me it was okay for hitting you with a car. She says, Michael, I'm not doing that. Get away from me. No, please, please. And he jumps into bed with her, you know, while she's in her bed with a crushed pelvis. It is just awful, you know, just this desperate need. Later on in the episode, things get really crazy when they discover that Meredith has got rabies because Dwight trapped a bat on her head with a garbage bag. In, in the previous season, and she's got rabies, so Michael's going to create a fun run to try to stamp out rabies, of course, a disease that has already been stamped out. But it's just hilarious. If you're ever going to watch one, check out Fun Run. 
Uh, but there is this poignant moment after, after Michael's been to the hospital to see Meredith, and everybody's been with him, and he's looking just to the camera. It's those little spaces in the office that are so powerful as well as funny. And he says, do I, do I need to be liked? No. I like to be liked. I want to be liked. I, I have to be liked. But I don't need to be liked. Like, I need to be praised everywhere. Mm. So potent. My kids like to say, Dad, you are Michael Scott. And they were never more right than right there. I, I need to be liked. I sort of have to be liked. My daughter Bailey talks about that dynamic in our family. We've got four kids. Two are married now. I feel like I have six kids now. But Bailey's number three. And, and Bailey always says, you know, here's how it works in our family. Mary Fran's the firstborn. She's dad's favorite. Duggan's the nextborn. She's mom's favorite. Jim's last and he's a boy. He's everybody's favorite. But me, I'm number three, and I'm under the radar with everything, and all the siblings want me to be on their team. I'm the real favorite of the family. <laughs> now, it is funny, except for it, there's painful truth inside that analysis. You know, everybody's scrapping to be favorite, right? Aren't we? And underneath that scrapping and scrambling in our families or in our workplaces, in our schools, even inside the community of the church, really is a desire to wonder, does God favor us? Are we God's favorite? And right here, Luke gives us this song from the angels and all the teaching and the story around it to say, yes, you are. God's come. God's took on human flesh to convince you that you, if you find your life in this song, are his favorites. Now, how are we God's favorites, especially at Christmas? First of all, we are God's favorites because God has come to be with us. We know we are favored by God because God has come to be with us. The, the old theologian from a thousand years ago in the, in the medieval period, Anselm, famously asked, Cur Deus Homo, why God become man? Why? Well, the Gospels tell us, John, God came to dwell among us, to pitch his tent among us, becoming in human flesh to reveal his glory so we could see his grace and his truth. Matthew tells us it is because God has come to be near us, Emmanuel, with the birth of Jesus. But Luke presses it all the way down to say, God has come in his glory to show the great humility of being born as a babe in humble circumstances, in an impressed setting, really, to be with us. That is the beautiful favor of God. When people love you, what is the greatest gift that, that we give each other when we love each other? Is being near, is coming around, staying, visiting, being present. God is saying, I want to be with you and have you be with me. So I'm going to actually step into this creation I've made, into the beauty of it and the brokenness of it and the fallenness of it that you have created 
I'm going to become like you in every way to be near you, like you in every way without your sin, to save you from your sin, to be near you. I favor you. Strange wrapping for God. Strange packaging for God to take on human flesh, for God to become man. Strange wrapping paper. Do you, you've ever seen those gifts, right? Maybe you're one of those people. I'm kind of like that. I like to surprise people with the boxes and the packages at Christmas and th- sort of throw them off to put, put the biggest gifts sometimes in the smallest, oddest packaging or, or sometimes the thing that looks grand, you know, in the packaging and large is just a tiny little gift. I've liked to throw them off the scent. You know, I, when I was in college, my senior year of college, I dated a girl back home in Florida. I, I was up at school in Connecticut, and she was very kind, and she would send me very regularly these packages with beautiful printing, this brown wrapper every time, you know, just kind of the brown wrapping on a box and beautiful printing. I'd have my name on it. I'd go get that box from the mailroom, and there would always be cookies inside. And it was amazing, you know, to get that. Well, one time, there, there came a time when my roommates were with me and we went to the post office and they said, maybe we got some cookies today, Paul, from, from back home. And we got there and this time there were two boxes. And it was amazing. And so we went back to my room. My roommates were like, this is great. We got two boxes of cookies. Well, my roommate opens the packaging that looks just as the same as all the others and pulls it out. And this time it's not a tin of cookies. It's a Tupperware. And he opens that Tupperware, and immediately he starts screaming. And we all start screaming because this Tupperware is filled not with cookies or some kind of pudding or something. It's human feces that are in this, in this Tupperware. And everybody starts shouting and screaming, packaging that looked good with something horrible inside, right? Well, God does the opposite here. Thankfully. Amen? God does the opposite. God does something that looks like odd, strange, awful packaging in a way. Becoming like us. Becoming like us in, in the worst of our oppressive experiences. Like Jesus is, where, where no room is for him to be born. Uh, under Roman oppression, being forced to travel. His parents, um, forced to travel long distance and away from home, away from family. They still not being fully wed and officially wed, yet having a baby. All of this, he comes into odd packaging to be near us. God with us to show us his favor. How much does God love you? So much that he becomes flesh for you. So much so that Jesus Christ, still after his death and his resurrection and ascension into the heavens, still wears human flesh. Do you realize this? You realize this, our hope, right, is that we are going to, as Paul says, escape this mortal tent, put on resurrection bodies to match resurrected souls in new heavens and new earth. But what Christ does for us is to say this free, beautiful, eternal God, spiritual being, puts on human flesh. Not just to come to earth, but to be resurrected, yes, and ascended with a resurrection body. But he stays fully God and fully man. That's how much Christ loves us. That's how much God favors us, that Jesus eternally is dealing with a body. Amazing. You know, Luke's way of sort of talking about this, about the wonder of this, 
is, is to sort of set off. He starts off this narrative by saying this all happened. The Christ was born in this time when Quirinius was governor, when Augustus Caesar reigned. And, and Augustus was really sort of the pinnacle of all Roman power. He was this, he was this, he was, you know, sort of this adopted son of Julius Caesar. He was sort of the grandnephew, I think, of Caesar by birth, but, but adopted by Julius Caesar. He's really the ultimate Roman emperor. And constantly, people were writing gospels about him. Good news statements about his birthday and the fact that he has come into the world, that he is like a god, that he has the qualities of the gods bringing justice and peace to the world through the Roman reign, through the Pax Romana, for the great Roman peace, which really just meant good things for the rich and the governing class and hard things for everybody else. Oppression, heavy taxation, radical control, people being forced to move like pawns on Augustus's chessboard, like Joseph and Mary moving along, having to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But what Luke is saying is, no, there's good news of great joy about the birth of this king who is Savior Christ, the true promised king, who is also the Lord, come in human flesh to be near us. True peace, true justice, true mercy, true love, the true deity, become truly man. Let that sink in. How much does God favor you this Christmas and all through your journey? So much so that he comes to be near you. He becomes one of us. He will eternally be one of us to bring us into the life and the love and the joy of God through him. We're favored because Jesus becomes man, because God becomes man, because God comes near to us. How else are we favored at Christmas, especially by God? How does he prove to us we are his favorites? Because he comes for us despite our sin and brokenness. When you're trying to be favorite, right? When you're trying to be the Michael Scott person, when you're trying to be the Paul Horn person and be everybody's favorite in a moment, in a group, in a, in a place, what are you working so hard to do to put your best foot forward, to meet everybody's needs, to, to step into every situation and, and to be competent and to be fun and, and to be the person that everybody wants? Well, what Luke is demonstrating here by telling us this song is, God favors us when we're exactly the opposite. (laughs) When we're the people of brokenness and need and sinfulness. Where is this all going for Luke? He he starts this story out here in chapter 2 and he's telling you about this amazing birth, but but he's taking it somewhere. And he's very subtly saying right here in the beginning of his gospel, this babe is wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. He's going to use that exact same language at the end of his gospel over in chapter 23 after Jesus has died and says that they took his body and they wrapped it in linen cloths and laid it in a tomb. 
Where does this all have to go? It has to go from a birth to a suffering life to a misunderstood journey to a betrayal, a series of betrayals to death and burial because we're sinful and broken. Christmas tells you that we can stop pretending before God. How does Matthew put it? Call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Call his name Jesus, God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. The great hope of Christmas is that God loves us despite our sins, in the middle of our sins. And he's come for us to be near us and to deal with our sins. My wife, Fran, talks about growing up sort of in high school, and, and when she got to high school at her school, they had the superlatives, you know? They had the best dress, they had the most athletic, most likely to succeed. One of the superlatives in high school was class favorite, the one that was everybody's favorite, the one everybody liked, the one everybody wanted to be their friend. And she said, you know, Paul, that's what I wanted to get each year. And I got it all four years in my class in high school class favorite. She said, the thing was, I started working at the beginning of each school year to try to earn that favorite, to think about each person in my class, how I could sort of show them I was worthy of their friendship. I was worthy of their vote for favorite. And then she said, you know, one year after I won it, I was in the bathroom and those things had just gone announced. And, and I, was, I was in a stall and some other girls came in the bathroom and they didn't know I was in there. And they started talking and they said, you know, can you believe that Fran Duggan? She got favorite. What a fake she is. And she said that all just the whole system just unraveled for her in realizing no matter how hard I try, it, it all breaks down. And what God wants to say to you this Christmas is, Cease striving and know that I'm God for you. Come for you. Come to be near to you, to die for you. To love you not because of who you are, but despite who you are. To deal with who you are and to make you my own. I love you. And I will not let you go. Fran and I just went to a wedding uh, a Friday night and Saturday up in Chattanooga with some old friends. And it was, their child was getting married. And it was a joy to be there and see old friends. We, we saw some old friends of ours that we hadn't seen in years. We sort of spent time at the table with them Friday night and then went to lunch with them yesterday before the wedding. And, and, and the husband is just a great guy. Good old boy. He's a... He's a veterinarian, and he, he gave me a phrase just this weekend that I thought was hilarious. Fran would say, what's it like, you know, when a dog comes in or a cat comes in? You don't, you don't really know what's wrong with them. They can't tell you what they're feeling. He said, oh, I kind of like it that way, you know, because I feel like if people told me what was wrong, they'd just be making up stories, you know. I get to kind of figure it out. Most of the time, the owner just brings them in and says, we don't know what's wrong. He says, I write down on the sheet, ADR, ain't doing right. I <laughs> love that. Good vet talk, right? And he said, it just reminded me of that saying, what he had told me years and years and years ago when I had been visiting their home. He said, he's a deacon. He's been in the church his whole life. 
He said, Paul, I really don't need the preacher every Sunday to spend all of his time just pounding on me, telling me how depraved and sinful I am. I know that. I've got that down. I need the preacher to tell me in the middle of that sin, in brokenness, in depravity, God loves me, and God has come from me, and God meets me in that space to forgive me and to begin to make me new. That, folks, is the gospel of Christmas. God favors us by being with us, by being with us in the middle of our sins and our brokennesses. Not, not because of our greatness, despite our lack of greatness, but despite our lack of goodness. And that's the favor and the joy of Christmas. But where really Luke takes us, finally, is how do we know we're favored by God at Christmas? Because there's a joy offered to us at Christmas in the middle of our pain and suffering. I, 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 the older I get, the part about Christmas that stuns me, the part that Luke particularly brings out, is what happens on Christmas night. The angels come and sing, glory to God in the highest peace on earth, favor to men of God's grace and goodwill. The joy of this gospel is sung about. And then the shepherds say, let's go and see what the angels have told us about. And they run and they go and see and they share the good news they've received. And they experience Jesus. And Mary treasures all this in her heart. And then the shepherds write, go back and they run with great haste, telling the good news of what they've seen and heard, right? But what's underneath all of that? is that the shepherds are going back to a cold, hard winter's night out in fields where they're tending those flocks. They're away from their families on this night. They're far away from home. They're leaving families at home who are likely dealing with a grinding poverty that are without the dad or the granddad or the brother or the husband. They're wondering, how is home life without me? And... And are they making it? And they're, they're out there on the cold ground at night. Shepherds is a class of people, right? You know this if you've ever heard a Bible lesson, right? They're a group of people that are disdained, particularly by Jewish culture. They're seen as people who are not trustworthy, who are not even allowed to give public testimony in a court or a public setting because they're just known as a bunch of thieves and liars, we think about the shepherds. Oh, the cute little boys in the Christmas play with the bathrobes and the towels on their heads, right? That is not the way the culture saw them. Poor, grinding, difficult life, months away from home with the flock, going back out there to the cold, hard ground with difficult lives and must have wondered, you know, what the culture says about me is probably really mostly true. I am a thief and a liar. Everything was still the same for them after Christmas. Everything was still the same for Joseph and Mary. They still were this couple 
who had a baby that was inexplicable. They, whether they were married here, as Matthew seems to say, or still just betrothed, wherever it is in that space, um, we're not sure. But they've certainly got a baby that can't be explained. They don't have a nine-month period of marriage to deal with to explain this baby. They're far away from home. There was no room for them in the regular lodgings of the house, so they're in the down lower part, maybe maybe a stable area, maybe even sort of a, an underground kind of cave slash basement area where the animals would be kept. Joseph still got to figure out, how am I going to take care of my wife? How are we ever going to get back home? How are we going to make a living? Mary's there by herself. How am I going to take care of this baby? What do I do? All of that suffering and difficulty that was there before Christmas night is still there for them after Christmas night. Except everything has changed. Except the wonder that there is good news of great joy for all the people because a Savior has been born to us. The true King has been born to us. Not a fake, oppressive King like Caesar Augustus, but the true King, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, God, come to be with us. The favor of Christmas is that God says, I'm giving you something that can transcend your brokenness, a joy that can be experienced powerfully in the middle of it, maybe even more strongly in the middle of it. God with you. God come for you. God come to save you from your sins. God come to bring you into the life and love of God. God who's come to begin a good work in you, to form the life of Christ in you, just like he formed by the Spirit the babe in Mary's womb. I'm going to form the life of Jesus in you. You can trust me and you can have joy in the middle of your brokenness and suffering. Why doesn't God make it all perfectly new now? Why doesn't he just make it all perfect now? Why didn't he do that on the first Christmas? Why didn't he do that on this Christmas? We don't know. But we know we can trust him while we wait for him to come again to make it all new. And you can have a joy that is real and lasting in the middle of your sufferings and your brokennesses. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this gospel of Christmas. Thank you for this hope that, Lord, you have come to us You have come to be with us. Why you would do that, why you would clothe yourself in human flesh, it stuns us, but you do. Why would you come to save us from our sins instead of just judging us or just starting over with a new humanity after the world had fallen? We don't know, but we are so grateful that this is the way you operate. And so, Lord, when we ask, why the suffering now? Why the difficulties and the trials and the pains now? Why don't you take it all away now? Lord, help us to know that we can trust you there. We can rejoice in you there, just like the shepherds did. 
just like Mary did, treasuring these things up in her heart. Lord, come to us now. Give us this peace and joy and hope in your gospel. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.